uh, happy Mother's Day to all of our uh, mothers here today. What a blessing uh, you are, and uh, and churches would not survive if it wasn't for uh, for godly mothers in in uh, in our midst. I need I need three volunteers to help me get the sermon started this morning. Day. Well, volunteers or someone that is volunteered for them. So if Dave wants to do that, thank you, Dave. Kevin's coming up. All right, it's perfect. We've got three guys. That's what I was hoping for. That's right. I'll hand that to you. And hand that to you. Yeah. And I think that, yeah. If you can't tell, that is a piece of thread. And, um, here you go. Okay, what we're going to do to start with, well, actually, to start and finish all together, this is all the same thing. We're going to see um, who can thread the needle the fastest. Okay, guys, go. <laughs> Anyone have glasses that they can loan? Kevin looks like he knows what he's doing. It, he did lick his uh, the the thread, so you knew that. Or, or, oh, wow, that was close. I thought you had it. Dave, can I hold that a little further away for you? I'm, I'm going to give you just a second more because that prize that you're going to win is incumbent on you actually getting it threaded. Dan, past tense, ad doesn't work. <laughs> Don't worry, no one's watching you. Oh, we have a winner. Look at that, he, he actually did it. So as I not get in trouble with my wife, if you'd put the needle back in there just in case she does want her needles back. All right. You can keep the thread as a memento for what you've done. I'll have a prize for you later, actually. <laughs> Don't hold your breath on the, the prize. <laughs> some things, some things seem impossible, like threading a needle. Um, Boy, that's difficult. Obviously, uh, for Kevin, it's not because he has a superhuman talent. But, but trying to get uh, th- that that uh, thread through the needle, boy, that's that's tough. Uh, for some of us, getting to church on time that that seems impossible, doesn't it? Uh, KU beating K State in football that seems impossible, doesn't it? Would you agree, Lacey? Yeah, I don't. I'm not. I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. A 20 minute sermon that just seems impossible, doesn't? Uh, the reality is sometimes things seem uh, in, impossible, but they're not. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 10. Uh, we're going to look at a, a story that you're probably familiar with, a, a story that, that you probably have heard told or, or, or read before, an interesting story of a conversation that Jesus had, a, an encounter that Jesus had with a guy. And one of the things that comes up from this story, actually it's, it's, uh, it's two things, is the idea of something that's impossible. Because that's what Jesus uh, ends up saying, that it's nearly impossible, but but that it's not impossible, that it really can happen. If you have your Bibles, look with me in Mark chapter 10. We're going to start in verse uh, verse 17, and let's see what uh, what the story has for us there. As Jesus started on His way, a man ran up to Him, fell on His knees before Him, Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit life, uh, or inherit eternal life? Now let me, let me throw this out. I'll, I'll mention a little bit later on, but, uh, this, this story is recorded in Matthew and Luke as well. 
and they add a little bit more detail. Uh, uh, they, they let us know that this guy was rich, that he was uh, a, a, a young man, and that he was also a man of authority, was a ruler. So, so we often know this story, referred to it as the story of the, the, the rich young uh, ruler. Uh, why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not uh, bear false witness, do not uh, defraud, honor your mother and father. Teacher, he declared, and, and I imagine he did so with great enthusiasm, all these I've kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack. He said, go sell everything you have, give the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. At this the man's face fell, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for rich, for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. In other words, it seems like it is impossible. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said, oh, oh, oh let me skip ahead a verse, or back a verse. The disciples were even more amazed and said to one another, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at him and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. So it's just as hard as it was to, to thread a, a needle uh, with, with a piece of a thread. Jesus uses that illustration that it's, it's uh, e- easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it would be for a rich man to get in heaven. We're going to see two people in this story, two, uh, uh, a person and then, then actually a group. The, the first one we see is this searcher. He, he actually is a saddened searcher. Uh, he's looking for Jesus, but, but we know from the story, and even as we look at this story, we try to figure out where we fit in and, and how it applies to us. We, we know how the story, we, we know how it ends, and we know that it ends sad, that he went away sad because the, the guy had a lot of money. He was, was rich. Matthew says he was young. Luke says he was a, a, a ruler. They all say that he had, uh, he had riches. The, the story starts with this guy running up to Jesus. Now, now I can just imagine the buzz that was there when he showed up because I, I would assume everyone knew who he was. If they didn't know him personally, they at least knew that he was, that he was powerful, that he had had some authority that he was rich, that he was young. I, I just have to guess that he was handsome, that he was good looking as well. So, so when he when he comes rolling up to Jesus and throws himself at Jesus' feet and, and begins to question Jesus, I imagine the disciples saw that and they were pretty stoked. Peter might have thought, "Wow, this is good. We've got this rich guy, this this uh, this young ruler that's got authority." Peter was thinking. This is going to be good for our, our influence. This is going to be good for our, our efforts. Judas had to be thinking, hey, this is going to be good for the pocketbook. Judas kept the money. So Judas, Judas was probably thinking, man, this guy's going to make a large donation. I can just fill it. So, so I imagine as he approached everyone, uh, all the disciples were excited to have this guy here. Because everyone knew who he was. He, he, he probably had the fastest camel. He had the latest robe, the, the newest clothes, the the girls, when they were around him, giggled. He was he was cool, and and they were excited because everyone wanted this guy as part of the team. And now he's coming to Jesus, and he's he's asking, "Hey, what do I need to do? How can I join up with you all?" 
basically is what they would have thought he was asking. So they were, they were thrilled. Several years ago, I, I, I got a phone call one Saturday morning. Uh, the lady identified herself as Joan McClellan, and uh, she had a little bit of a southern accent, which I thought was kind of cool, and, and I, I ended up commenting and asking her where she was from uh, originally, because I'd lived in Louisiana for a while. She was from Mississippi, Kosciuszko, Mississippi. Anyone know who famous is from Kosciuszko, Mississippi? That's right, Oprah Winfrey. Uh, and they were from the same hometown as Oprah Winfrey, and and uh, so so she begins to ask, she, she asked some questions about the church at Rushville. She said, are you guys... Uh, are you guys an independent Christian church? And so, you know, I told her, yes, we are, and talked a little bit about, we ended up talking about people that we knew and, and, and some background there. And, and she went, in, went ahead to, to talk a little bit about what the deal was. Uh, her and her husband had, had just a few months before moved to Atchison. Uh, he was running a company in Atchison, and they were looking to find an independent Christian church. They tried to find other churches, and, and they hadn't been very lucky, and was just wondering what time our services started. And so, obviously, I told her the next Sunday morning, the next day, they, they walked in, and I tell you what, uh, I'd already told a couple people, hey, there's a couple that's going to, a new couple's going to be at church tomorrow. Uh, and I don't know a lot about him. He runs some company uh, in, in Atchison, and, uh, you know, let's, you know let, let's be nice to him. Let's put on our best hat. And, and uh, uh, they walked in. It was obvious because no one had ever, or, you know, I'd never seen him before. I knew it was them. As soon as I said hello, and they said, they said hello with their, their southern accents. I knew it was them. And I tell you what, everyone was thrilled. Joan and uh, Curtis McClellan. I mean, uh, dressed nice, and Curtis had on a pressed shirt and a nice tie. He always looked just well put together. Uh, it turned out they were the nicest couple in the world. I mean, lovely Christians, dedicated uh, Christians. They were such an asset to the church, but but everyone when they saw them, the he's the head of a company. You know, they're 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 educated. They're, oh, we were so thrilled. Not not so much different than than what the disciples were thinking. The truth is if if someone walked in our our back door and they came in and we didn't know them but they were dressed nice or or we knew that they they had some authority or they were they were some special person or they were dressed really cool the guy had a press shirt on and fancy shoes and boy we would be what's your name again glad to have and i know that's what the disciples were thinking when this guy showed up they're thinking wow he's rich he's young he's handsome he's got it together he's got authority and he wants to be part of us so so as excited as they were they must have been even more excited when he asked the question when when he asked jesus what do i need to do what do i need to do to have eternal life it, the way they would have interpreted that and probably somewhat rightly so what, the way they would have caught that was hey jesus what do i need to be a part of the team what do I need to join up with you guys? What do I need to be on your side? So, so they were thrilled when he asked that question. What do I need to do? Now, now catch a couple things. Here's the, the first thing that you, we see there. Notice the guy's position. It says that, that he came up to Jesus and ran up to Jesus. He was enthusiastic and he fell, uh, he fell on his knees in front of Jesus. Now, now this guy was, he was used to people falling in front of him. He was used to people showing him respect. He was used to people begging him for something. Uh, and, and 
and he falls at the face of Jesus. You, you have to believe, or at least I have to believe, that this guy was sincere. In, in fact, when I, it's a little tough because I know the rest of the story, so that, that clouds my view of this, this guy a little bit, but, but as I read the story, I, I actually tend to like this guy. I, I like the fact that he came up, that he ran to Jesus, that he fell on his knees and, and he asked Jesus, hey, what do I need to do? I, I, I think there, there's something, uh, that, that is very sincere about this guy. Some, some believe that he was, uh, he was just being grandiose. He was used to having people fall at his feet. So he thought, you know what? Jesus is popular. Everyone's talking about this, this guy from, uh, Nazareth. I, you know, I'm, I'm going to make a big spectacle. I'm going to make a big deal and I'm going to fall at my feet and, and, and try to, try to get him on my side. But I, I really don't think that's, I don't think that was his motivating factor. I, I think he was really interested. I, I think when he went to Jesus, his heart was, was sincere. When he when he said, "Hey, what do I need to do? How can I, how can I ensure eternal life?" I I really believe that. But uh, but but then a problem kind of sneaks in. Jesus Jesus saw his purpose. Jesus Jesus knew his purpose. Now whether whether it was because he just read the guy, sometimes you you, you meet people and you you can pretty well figure them out by just looking at them. Whether Jesus just read him properly or or since he was the son of God, he had a little foreknowledge. He knew what this guy's heart was. Um, he understood what this guy's real purpose was. See, was he really wanting instruction from Jesus? Or was he just wanting Jesus, Jesus's approval? What, did he really want to know, Jesus, what do I need to do? Jesus, what do I need to change? Jesus, what do I need to be challenged by? Jesus, what commitment do I need to add to my life? What, what, what kind of choices should I be making? What kind of sins should I be confessing? What kind of contrite spirit should I be having? Was he really asking Jesus, hey, what do I need to, to do? Or was it really just, Jesus, what can I do to be, to have your approval? To have you pat me on the back? To have me say, hey, you're part of the group. Uh, we had a lady that attended church at Rushville for years. Uh, her name was Kathy. Uh, Kathy was kind of an interesting lady. I, I really, actually liked her very much, but but she was the type of lady you had to constantly, constantly be, be coddling her. I mean, the smallest thing would get her upset. And I can't remember how many times I I went to her house and and, and tried to explain away something that happened. Someone hadn't said the right thing to her, and I. You know, I don't know how many people I defended. Oh, they, they, they didn't mean that, Kathy. You know, they didn't mean... You know, finally I got kind of tired of it because I, I realized, you know, why, why are you coming? Do you really want to be changed? Do you really want to know who Jesus is? Or do you just want to feel good about yourself? Do you just want someone to pat you on the back? Uh, Jesus, oh, this guy came to Jesus, and I, I think he was sincere, and he asked that question. What do I need to do? Uh we see next, verse 21, we see the evaluation. Uh, Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack. One thing you lack. Uh, I, I imagine as, uh, as Jesus began to, to speak to him, the disciples were, they were excited. As Jesus began to, to, to tell him what to do, they, they were anticipating, oh, Jesus is going to say this and Jesus is going to say that. 
but it says that he looked at him and he loved him. Um, if you catch nothing else this morning, if nothing else sticks from the sermon, if nothing else in this text jumps off the page at you, underline that phrase. Let, let this phrase stick there, that Jesus looked at him and loved him. Now, Jesus already knew what his response was going to be. He knew his purpose. Jesus knew this guy was going to walk away sad. He knew that he was not was going to be upset. And, and yet, Jesus still looked at him, and, and he didn't look at him with judgment. He didn't look at look down his nose at him. He, he, he didn't look at him disapprovingly. He didn't look at him like, man, you're wasting my time. It says instead he looked at him and loved him. So, so let me just point this out to us. No matter how we come to the Lord, even if we come to, 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 to the very presence of God and our motives are wrong and our purpose is wrong and we've got it all mixed up, it doesn't make a, G, a difference. When Jesus looks at you, according to Scripture, He's going to look at you and He's going to love you. Now, He's going to call it the way it is. He's going to call you out, but He's going to look at you and His emotion is not one of frustration, but it's going to be one of love. So no matter where you are this morning, Jesus is looking at you and He loves you. Um, it was the summer of, of 1977. Any of you remember that summer? I was a sophomore in college or just finished my sophomore year in college and, and uh, Meatloaf came out with a song. Uh, the, the name of the song was uh, 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 <laughs> what is the name of the song? Barely I don't remember the summer of 19 uh, two out of three ain't bad. There you go. Two out of three ain't bad. Remember that song? Uh, a, a beautiful love ballad. Uh, I want you. I need you. But there ain't no way I'm ever going to love you. But don't be sad because two out of three ain't bad. Uh, you got to think that's what's happening here. Jesus says, you lack one thing. I imagine this guy was like, yes. Because Jesus had had gone through a list of of rules and, and, and laws, and the guy said, hey, I've done all of those. Every one of those I've kept since I was a, a kid. I've, I've honored my mom and dad. I haven't defrauded anyone. I've done all of that. And, and Jesus says, okay, okay, just one thing. Just one little thing you lack. Um, when I was a senior uh, at, uh, at Ozark, I took Greek. Um, you ever use the phrase, that's Greek to me? That's because... If you have, it's because Greek is a tough language to learn. Whole new alphabet, whole new way of thinking. It's a difficult language. But for some reason, it, it clicked with me, and I, I actually enjoyed it. I got my best grade in college was in Greek. Unfortunately, I don't remember a lot of that now, but, uh, uh, but I did really good when I was in college with it. But I, I really I enjoyed the class. And every day our class would start this way. We would sit down, and our, our instructor, Dr. Kenny Bowles, would take role. And this is what he would do. He would say your name. Aaron Bell, and your response was not here, present, anything like that. Your response was this. One and a half, two, two and a half, 30 minutes. Every day for, for, for Roe, you had to tell him how much you had studied the day before. He had made it very clear, starting the class, that his expectation was that you would study two hours every night on Greek. Now, that was fine if that's the only class you had. But you can imagine, um, you know, with other classes and as a, an, a, a, a junior, senior class, you've got other tough classes. But that was the expectation. So every day we started class with, 
And and I'll be honest, most of the time, I you know, I, I was hour and a half, hour and three quarters, too. Uh, I loved, we didn't have class on Monday, so I loved Tuesdays because you had all weekend. So Tuesday, I can nail Tuesday. Four, five, Dr. Bowles, yeah. So, so, so that's how we would start class. Immediately following that, we would, we would, uh, we would have a test, a, a quiz every day, just like a little 10, 10 question quiz. We'd hand it to the guy next to us, grade it, hand it back. Then he'd go through roll again. Aaron Bell, you'd say what you got. I had a guy in my class named Steve Landers. Um, it, it, it got to be almost a joke. Uh, if we were betting type in, at that time, we probably would have, uh, uh, a guy probably could have made some money on that by taking odds. Okay, what's his answer going to be today? But, but after the first week or so of class, when it came to Steve Landis, Steve Landis, 10 minutes, next day, 15 minutes, day after that, zero. Uh, you know, we're all sitting there, man, I studied an hour and a half, I studied two hours, and and every day when we did the quizzes, his answer would be about the same as his study. Zero, two. Uh, we, we went about halfway through the semester. And, and, and I, I wasn't sure if I was feeling sorry for the guy or, or, or if I felt it made me feel good because I had an hour and a half and his 10 minutes made me look really good. Uh, you know, if I got eight out of 10, that made his one out of 10 made me look, you know, or if I felt sorry for him or, or if it was kind of comical. But finally, about halfway through the semester, one, one morning as, as, as Dr. Bowles was giving the, uh, the, the role and he went through all the names and he finally came to Steve Landis. He said, Steve Landis, and he said zero. And, and this time, Dr. Bowles, and he was, he was a funny guy and he was a, a, a great man. This time he stopped. And he just looked at him. And he just looked at him. Kind of got a little, you know, I was getting a little nervous for the guy. He kind of looked at him. Why are you in this class? Steve, you have to study. And then he went on the next name. Never said another thing the rest of the year. Obviously, the guy flunked the class and... and uh, didn't take it again. Jesus says, you lack one thing. The boy was a big one. Because what did he say? Well, make a small donation, and you're good. Make, make sure you go to the synagogue every Saturday night, and you're good. Hey, be sure to come to some of my sermons, and... Uh, Invite your friends, and you're good. Now, that's what he thought was going to happen. Instead, Jesus says, okay, take everything you have and sell it. Sell it, and then follow me. Then you'll have treasure in heaven. You, you lack one thing. Now, now, a couple questions come up. Let me answer those for you before we move on. Do I have to sell everything? Okay, yeah, you guys, you need to sell everything, donate it to the church. We've got a building project coming up, so just go ahead and donate it. Uh, you know, see, uh, uh, see Joy Davies, and she'll make sure she get, you get a written note. Jesus doesn't, doesn't call everyone to sell everything to follow him. There's people that did. His disciples walked away from their jobs, walked away from everything 
to follow him. It's it's not that it didn't happen, but but we don't see that happening time and and time again. So the second question would be simply this: Then what is your one thing? Because the reality is when when you call on Jesus and and we honestly come to him sincerely, saying, "Jesus, what do I need to do?" There is a one thing, and probably if you're like me, there's probably more than one thing. There's three or four or five or six or ten. But but what is that thing that Jesus is calling you to do? Here's, here's the deal. Jesus spoke to him in the area that was keeping him from God. The one area that kept him away from God was the one area that Jesus spoke to him. And we see his response. His, his response was pretty predictable. He walked away sad. Because the truth was he couldn't, he couldn't separate himself from that thing that really had his heart, that really had control of him. He couldn't walk away from that. So, so we see this guy, but we also see, we also see the dumbfounded disciples. Because Jesus ends up making this comment. He said, said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a, a rich man to make it to heaven. Man, I, I watched, I watched these guys struggle to get a thread. Now that thread was small. That was a little bitty thread and you could hardly see it. And I didn't do you any favors getting blue. I should have got white or something that stood out. My, my bad on that. That's just what I grabbed out of Rita's. So, uh, I, I, how am I going to get a camel through there? Now, some would say that, uh, and some do say that in, in Jerusalem there was a gate called the Camel's Gate that, that was just a small gate and, and camels could go through that, but they'd have to get, they'd have to get their camel down on its hands and knees and it would crawl through. It could be done, but it was hard. Now that makes a little more sense if, if we see it that way. Okay, oh, it can happen, but it's just, you gotta have a trained camel, you gotta, you gotta push him, you gotta prod him, you gotta, but others say, yeah, that's true, but it's not what Jesus meant. Jesus literally meant, the eye of a needle, that, that it's easier for, for a camel to go through that than a rich man. And, and so his disciples, their response was, Jesus states this impossible thing. How in the world can this happen? You know, the, 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 the most shocking thing from the story that, that I see is the way they respond. Because then they say, well, then who can be saved? And does it hit you this way? Why did they care? Why did, why did that, why did that frustrate them? Because they weren't rich. I mean, they were anything but rich. These guys were poor. And, and so why were they so upset when Jesus says it's tough for a rich man? I would have thought they would say, well, we're okay because we're not rich. Well, let me point it out. I think it's, I think it's this. I think they were believing that if, if Jesus was going to have a kingdom, if Jesus was really going to be who he was, it was going to take rich guys like this young rich ruler to make it happen. And if we don't have them, it's not going to happen. In other words, literally what they were thinking was, Jesus, it goes right back to, we've taught this several times, Jesus really can't use me because I'm not that guy. Uh, several years ago, Reed and I went out to California to visit her mom. Uh, while we were out there, we called a friend of my oldest son, Brian, uh, called one of his friends. His name was Steve. Steve was a guy that Brian played basketball with at Ozark Christian College. Uh, Brian's freshman year was Steve's senior year, his last year. Steve was a great guy. He was from Topeka. He was about six foot four, could jump out of the gym. 
handsome guy. It's okay if I say that because he really was. He was he was a good looking guy, great smile, wonderful personality, uh, type of guy that you just people were drawn to him. And Steve was on staff at a church uh, called Shepherd of the Hills in Porter's Ranch, California. Uh, and so when we were out there, we we'd made arrangements and got his phone number, and we were going to take Steve out to lunch. Uh, now, kind of an interesting story. Steve went uh, uh, when he first went out to interview at uh, Porter's Ranch at uh, at the Shepherd of the Hills. He was he was sitting out in the lobby after the service, and and there was an older gentleman sitting. True story. An older gentleman sitting on a a couch out in the lobby, and Steve sat down next to him and began to talk. And he noticed the guy had a t- had a had a polo on that said UCLA, and so Steve began to talk to him, uh, and uh, ask him. I said, "Well, he said, well." Are, you a UCLA fan? And this old gentleman kind of nodded. Well, yep, yep, I am. Basketball? Steve was a basketball player. He said, yes, I, I loved UCLA basketball. So they talked a little while later. Steve got up and walked away, and a guy pulled him aside and said, do you know who that was? Sitting on the couch asking if he liked UCLA basketball was Coach Wooden, a member of that church. <laughs> so anyway, read it. That's, that has nothing to do with the story I'm telling. Uh, so, so we call Steve when we're out in California and ask him if he wants to go out to lunch. Um, and, and Brian had, had told us too, said, hey, ask if Caleb wants to go as well. Brian had another classmate named Caleb Coltonbaum, uh, that was also on staff. He was the college minister. And, uh, I'd never met Caleb, but, but we called Steve. I said, hey, Brian said to invite Caleb. I said, okay. And we hooked up. We met at Santa Monica, went out to eat, walked out on the pier, had a great time. And when they come walking up, you talk about two opposites. There's Steve, six foot four, rugged, handsome, athletic, and there's Caleb Caltonbaum, and Caleb's about that tall, and uh, uh, had a shaved head and ears that stuck out kind of weird, and his eyes were kind of buggy, teeth were a little bit bucked, and 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 I'm thinking, wow, and and, and I'll be honest, I know s- s- some of you are thinking I was describing you. No, realize this guy's in Caleb. Um, I saw him and I felt sorry. Oh man, that poor guy. You got Steve who looks the part. Man, he's got to be a great youth minister. Caleb's in charge of college kids and look at him. Now, what I didn't know was that Caleb had a fantastic college ministry. He didn't look athletic. He wasn't tall. He wasn't good looking. Didn't have a pretty smile. Voice was a little bit high and squeaky, but God was using him in great ways. And I wonder if the disciples, when they said, when they were concerned about why can't a rich man make it, well, who's going to make it to heaven then? If what they really weren't thinking was, man, we're, we're not the ones. God, if you're going to do something big, it's got to be from, from the guys that are talented. It's got to be from the six foot four, uh, athletic, great smile type guys, because God doesn't use common people, does he? Uh, and yet he does, because Jesus points out, Jesus points out uh, the, the, the promise of the possible. And this is what he simply says. Uh, yeah, you know, with, with man it doesn't happen. You, you're, you're not going uh, to get a camel through the eye of a needle. But... With God, all things are possible. Now, now, do you think I can? You think I can get this rope through this needle? 
Anyone? That would have been easier to see, wouldn't it, Dave? And you might have got some through if you had done, done that. Looks impossible, doesn't it? But you know what? It, if I separated thread by thread by thread, I could get the whole rope through there. See, with God, with God, all things are possible. As you come to Jesus this morning, just like this guy, hey, what do I need to do? Lord, what's, what's your call on my life? Jesus is going to respond to you possibly the same way. Well, you lack just one thing. There's just one thing more you need to do. And with you, it may seem impossible. You may think, no way, but with God, all things are possible. Let's bow. Father, we thank you this morning for the hope that we have in you. Father, even, even though we are, are weak, Father, even though we uh, struggle in our faith, even though, Father, we're, we're like this guy, and, and it's hard sometimes to give things up. Father, it's hard to make sacrifices. It's hard to give you control. We know that through you we have hope. Uh, we can't do it on our own power. Uh, with us, it's not possible, but with you, all things are possible. Father, help us believe in the, uh, in the power that you give us, the promise of the possible. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're here this morning, we'd encourage you, if you need to make a decision, if you need to make a commitment, if you need to call out to the Lord and ask what he needs, we'd encourage you uh, to come.